and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. All right, folks, this is Brother Frank back with another episode from The Remnant Call. And I'll tell you, just to start out here, it's been a rough week. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's been a tough week this week. Um, Since last Wednesday to um, this Wednesday, I have uh, put on one funeral and attended two other ones. And just got information this morning that dear friend of mine, uh, his wife, also a wonderful lady. Her mother passed away this morning, and um, seems like not that long ago I was just over there in Solomon, and just wonderful people, very hospitable, loved the Lord, um, just amazing, amazing uh, parents. I mean, if I was their child, I would be so happy to have parents like that. And and uh, the next thing I knew, I got a word that she was in the hospital and to please pray for her and. Just like that, it was over, and she was gone. And so Brian and Mindy, uh, especially you, Mindy, uh, if you hear this, um, we love you, and we're praying for you, and um, God's got you. And uh, I know it's tough, but um, we'll make it through. And um, it reminds us how much we're looking forward to the return of Jesus. You know, all this death out here reminds me um, how precious life is. And uh, those who you may have not said hello to for a while could be gone tomorrow. Be careful with that. You don't want to look back on regret. You know, in our journeys, we all have things when we come to in life and we wish that we would have done better or we could have done better. We have regrets and things we are ashamed of and wish we would have chosen a different path. But um, the good news is, is that with God at any moment, we can decide to make a change. And we can start brand new and, and reset that button and move on to something better. And, and um, I want to do that in my own life. And I know my wife's listening and, you know, there's times when I have not been a very good husband at all or loving enough. Um, sometimes she might even say loving at all. Get so wrapped up in what I'm doing, I tend to forget others. And that is something I ask God to forgive me of. Life's too short to mess around. Um, time is short and it's precious. And not only do we have a work to do as believers, but we also have a family to take care of. And that family is not only our biological and our our blood relatives, but it's those we fellowship with and those we go to church with and those we work with. We need to make sure that we we are ministering to the people. And, And sometimes ministry means simply 
just going by and visiting someone, going over and visiting the widow, visiting that husband that lost his wife some years ago, visiting that person who no one ever comes and sees. I mean, there's so much religion out there, yet when I look in the Word of God, there's, there's only certain things that really matter. And God is very, very intent that we visit the fatherless and the widows and take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So as we get underway with this program tonight, I just want to say to any of you that have been holding off to make that phone call to someone, do it. Make it. Don't wait till tomorrow. For my friends tomorrow, for their mother, it's not going to come. It's over. So with that, I just want to pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for the times you've blessed us so much. that The times we didn't deserve it, yet you blessed us anyways. And Lord, there's been times when we've realized that we should have done something and we didn't. And for that, we're so sorry for But God, I pray today, tonight, is, or whenever someone might listen to this program, that, that understand that we can start over. We can make a change. So God, I'm calling upon you to make a change. Make a change in my life as the father, as the head of my home. Not as one who dominates, but one who leads by example who reflects the love of Jesus to his family and his children. God, I am imperfect, but I worship a perfect God. And so, Lord, for those that have been through some tragedy right now that are suffering with loss and thinking of my friend Robbie who just lost his father and uh, for the I family and um, for all those people that have just suffered tragedy this past week. Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would just be with them and comfort them. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, I just want to say thanks so much, Brad Huddleston, for coming on last week. What a powerful program. Breaking the technology addiction. If you are addicted to technology, you need to listen to last week's program because Brad not only deals with why, the what, and the hows, but he deals with deliverance, how to get delivered from this. And that is a very important thing. And I want to encourage you. And and, and even before that, a time appointed with Benjamin the week before, wow, the first 20, 30 minutes of that program is unbelievable. Uh, I just want to encourage you to go out and to listen to that. So with all that, I want to get into tonight's message. It is a surreal message. It's an important message. Because I understand right now there are those that are awake to the hour that we're living in, and there are those that are sleeping. And my biggest concern is, because this is called the remnant call, I'm dealing with the believers. Now, there are those who might listen, and hopefully they will come to the Lord Jesus. That would be my prayer. But this program was designed to strengthen the body. And my concern is, is that there are so many of you right now that are aware to the hour that we are living in, but your relationship with God is an absolute disaster. You want something more. You are aware of every nugget of information. You probably listen to programs left and right constantly here and there. But then you look, you take a second and you step back and you look at your life and you feel like you are an utter and complete wreck. 
That is not something that is uncommon. It is something that is happening across the body of believers, and it's happening to those that have been in the faith, to those that have been very strong in times past, but right now they are struggling. There seems to be almost a, a worldwide struggle in a way, or at least in, among many people that I know that's going on right now. And, and we know that when, that, when, when it feels like that there's oppression from the enemy and there's things like that, we know that it's then that God has more grace to overcome that which should bring us down. The question is, though, is running your life. And the message tonight on this program is called, Has Jesus Washed Your Feet? Now, many of you probably remember the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. You remember him, Jehoshaphat was a or excuse me, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, the two kings, and you remember they went out to battle, and then Ahab had gotten shot. Um, and, and then you remember later on down the road a little ways, we had the story of Naaman came in, how he came down to Elisha to get healed. Well, the interesting thing is the reason I bring up Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and especially Ahab in particular, is because the tradition from the, the Jewish traditions that go back, and, and I listen, I'm, I'm not promoting traditions because traditions many times are very dangerous but this tradition has a little bit of backing to it and the tradition is is that it was Naaman that actually shot and killed Ahab and it seems to be backed up in some places but Josephus wrote something that was very uh very interesting in his writings, and this is what he says. So when the Syrians, upon their joining battle with the Israelites, saw Jehoshaphat stand before the army and conjectured that he was Ahab. So you remember that Jehoshaphat was dressed up like a king, and they thought he was Ahab, but then they realized he wasn't. He continues, he says, they fell violently upon him and encompassed him round. But when they were near and knew that it was not he, meaning it was not Ahab, they all returned back, and while the fight lasted from the morning till late in the evening, and the Syrians were conquerors, they killed nobody as their king had commanded them, and when they sought to kill Ahab alone, but could not find him, there was a young nobleman belonging to King Ben-Hadad, whose name was Naaman. He drew his bow against the enemy and wounded the king through his breastplate in his lungs." Now, that's from Josephus, and so if the tradition is true, if the story is true, because it seems to have some backing here, that Naaman was not only this leper who came to get healed, but he was actually the one who killed Ahab. Therefore, I, the reason I'm bringing this up is I want you to understand that, that Naaman was just not your normal uh, captain of the, of the host of the king of Syria. He was greatly revered, someone to be honored, a conqueror of Israel at the time. And so he's just not your, your normal uh, great leader. He's got something special uh, about him. And I want to pick up this story in 2 Kings chapter 5 and starting in verse 1. And, and if you've got your Bibles, please just open up there with me. Second Second Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, this is what it says. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So interesting thing was, here it is talking about this, okay, Naaman, he's amazing. This man, by, by Naaman the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Do you see that? So the Lord was actually working on their behalf at that moment. 
um, against Israel. And we, we can, I mean, that's another story of why he was doing that. But he was a mighty man of valor, but there was a problem with Naaman. He was a leper. And it doesn't matter in life how much great accolades you have. When you've got leprosy, especially physical leprosy where people can see it on the outside, something that's notable, people, there's always going to be some sense of shame that's underneath. But because he had had such a great deliverance, even with his leprosy, he was still revered in such a high fashion. And so in verse 2 it says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So here we're back to this battle against Israel, and here they bringing home a little maid, and, and this was a slave in his house. And in verse 3 it said, And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So here this little little uh, servant, she's sitting there, and, and she sees her master, Naaman, and, and understands uh, his leprosy and the problem. And, and so as this little girl right there understands what's going on wrong, she knows that there is a solution, and she's, oh, that her master, that Naaman could be with that prophet that's down there in Samaria. If, if, if he could be with him, then, then I know the Lord would recover him. From his leprosy. And in verse 4 it said, and on, and on went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, go to go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of the leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? So kill and make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. So here this comes to the, you know, they're sending an offering to the king of Israel and saying, here, listen, I need you to recover, please, um, my, my uh, servant here, Naaman, my, my nobleman. He's a great man. I want you to recover him. And the king of Israel absolutely loses his mind and freaks out. And, and he says, how am I supposed to do this? Am I, am I a God that I can heal? And you already see, even from the king of Israel, such a lack of faith that he, he would think that he and himself, I mean, here he's first thing he's doing is considering that he himself is the problem in here. Not even seeking God. Okay, Lord, what can we do about this situation? But he understands it, you know, that he wants to get healed, and he thinks that because he knows he personally can't do it, that the whole thing is just a big deceptive plot. I wonder what would have happened if he would have said, you know, God, you know I can't heal this man, but I know you can. This is the thought. So in it, verse 8, it continues, and it says, And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, because, you know, when the king would tear his clothes, that was something serious. It was an outward sign that there, the king was in distress. There was a great problem. It says that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 
And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, interesting thing enough is, think about this. Here the king of Syria, who had defeated Israel, sends the chief of his host, the captain of his army, basically down, and says, hey, listen, I want you to heal him. Uh, the king freaks out in Israel, and then he sends, then Elisha says, hey, don't worry, send him over. So he comes over, and if he didn't catch that right there, Elisha didn't even actually go to the door. Okay. Elisha knew what he was doing. He actually sat there and sent his servant up to him, walks out there. Some might think that's a little disrespectful, but he says, hey, you know what? I want you to go to the Jordan and dip seven times. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So Naaman was angry. Because he had envisioned in his mind that, listen, I'm going down to Israel, okay? I know there's a prophet down there. He's probably heard of the fame of Elisha, and you don't do things like Elisha did and the word not get around. And he thought Elisha was going to come down in some big giant ceremony, probably what he was used to seeing when the prophets of Baal or wherever he was, you know, they did in his, their own land at home, when they would call down and, and do all these wonderful, amazing things. And, and, and so he thought that he would just, you know, heal him miraculously so everybody would see it. And when he didn't get healed like that, he was angry. Now, Elisha didn't tell him that, you know what, I'm not going to heal you. He said, go and dip in the river seven times. He gave him a solution to his problem. He wasn't saying don't not get healed. He wasn't not dealing with his problem, but it wasn't the way that he wanted it to be. And so he was angry and upset because he had not come out to do it. And then he continues on. He says, are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the water of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He's like, how dare that man tell me to go in that dirty old river Jordan? We got better waters up here in Damascus than down this filthy river Jordan. And he was so angry at what had happened because he didn't get his way. He wanted God to heal him, but he wanted God to heal him his way and not God's way. Thank God for smart servants. Thank goodness for those who were underneath him that had a word to speak up to him. And I speak to those of you who rule in your own job. Don't put down those underneath you. You may, may have a word of wisdom because listen to what's happening. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself in seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. So here, the, this servant comes up and says, look, sir, name, you, if God would have came out and you know, the man of God would have come out and said, listen, I want you to go up on top of this mountain and I'm going to call down fire or a storm and it's going to surround you and be healed, even though you could almost die, but you're going to be healed instead. You would have gone and done it because it's miraculous and it's what you, it's what you expected God to do. 
But now he's saying, listen, I just want you to do something small. Not huge like that. I just want you to go to the River Jordan, dip seven times, we'll take care of the problem. No big deal. And now you're angry. Well, the Bible says he went and dipped seven times. And his flesh came up again like under the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. When he did what God asked him to do, he got healed. See, how many times have we stumbled in our Christian walk? Because we had this idea of how God should answer our prayers. Well, Lord, I've been asking for this for the years. I want it to be done this way. I, I, Lord, you need to come through. God, why is this happening to me? We want the Lord to do something miraculous or we will get upset because we feel that God should have done it our way. And I'll tell you, folks, I found many people that not only do they get upset, but they begin to question why and they ultimately begin to blame God for what has gone wrong. Literally, they have not even taken, though, a few minutes to really seek God in prayer, to ask God what he would have them to do. But we make demands and we ask the Lord to do it this way. See, Naaman had his own idea of how God should heal him. When the real message that God was trying to show Naaman was that not only did he need to be healed from this leprosy, but that he needed to be washed so that he could be cleansed. There was a deeper message that he needed to understand. See, because simply getting healed, it wouldn't, may, may have not done a thing to his relationship with God. It may not have changed it at all. But when he did what God said, Naaman was then so utterly overwhelmed and convicted. It, he comes back later on, and he, he's so moved. He, he, he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's like, he doesn't understand all the things of God. He doesn't understand all the rituals. He doesn't understand all the Torah and all this stuff. But he says, you know what? What I do know, he's like, I'm going to take back some dirt, and I'm going to make an altar. And I'm, anything I do, it's going to be... From the Lord, he, he was like, he didn't know all these things, but he was so powerfully moved when God washed him and cleansed him and set him free that he came back to Elijah and he grabbed some dirt up and he took it home. And, he, and he's like, I, uh, one thing's for sure, I will only worship the God of Israel from this point forward. But if he would have been only healed, we may, that may have been the end of the story for Naaman. But because he followed it God's way, he not only healed him, but he washed him and he cleansed him. And he decided from that moment on, he would serve God for the rest of his life. See, Naaman came with the problem of leprosy. It looked incurable. In all of his nobility and everything he had and all of his intelligence and every honor that he had, every medal that he had was worth nothing with this leprosy present. See, the, there's a problem with leprosy, and it's not only a physical problem, but there is a spiritual problem with leprosy in the church. See, because what leprosy does in the physical, it's not usually leprosy that actually kills a person, no. See, leprosy ends up numbing and dulling the senses on the body. So a person that has leprosy, they may go to open up a door with a key, and it might not open. But because they don't feel it, they might turn it so hard it cuts into their hand. And then it ends up getting infected, and they end up dying from infection. 
Or a person will get burned in the fire and not feel it because the senses have gotten numbed and dulled to the leprosy. And what happens in the church is the same thing, but it's called spiritual leprosy. And when we get dulled to the things, uh, the spiritual things of God, then we don't understand when we're running off the path. And so instead of seeking God and asking Him, Lord, what would you have me to do? We get angry because God has not given us what we wanted, and therefore we're upset with Him, and we question, and many end up doubting. And spiritual leprosy is running wild in the church, and it's this numbness that's coming on. And we see it, folks, not, not just only from what the story here of Naaman with leprosy, but we see this leprosy going on to where nothing really matters anymore. We don't care about sin in the church anymore. We don't care about adultery, uh, homosexuality. We don't care about any of these things anymore, uh, gossip and all that stuff, because this leprosy has set into the church, and everybody's wanting to just do things their way, and there's no sensitivity to the spirit of the living God anymore. And it is a problem that's running crazy right now in the church of North America. There's another story, though, in the New Testament that reminds me of this story in the Old Testament of Naaman. It's in John chapter 13. It starts in verse 3. If you want to turn there and you got the Bible with you, John chapter 13 and verse 3, it starts like this. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and layeth aside his garments and took a towel and girdeth himself. So here Jesus is at the Last Supper. You remember the, the story. And so here the king of kings lays down and, and puts a garment around, a towel kind of you could imagine, a garment around him and girds it around his waist. And in verse 5 it says, After that he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So here Jesus, the king of kings, comes and humbles himself before Peter. Because he's got a greater purpose. He's, he's showing these, these servants how to serve, but he's got a greater meaning, and we're going to talk about that even behind what he's doing there. And so he comes to Peter, and Peter says, No way, Lord, you are not going to wash me. Oh, no. This is not the way God works in my book. The Lord does not get on his knees and wash his servants' feet because this is not how I have framed God in my mind to work. You see, foot washing was a practice that went back into the Old Testament. And many times it was, we read it in the Bible and in ancient literature and things. It is simply just a way to wash people's feet when you've been on a long journey and you come in somewhere and your feet are dirty. It's nice and refreshing when you come into a guest's home to wash your feet, clean it up. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel clean. It also keeps you from tracking more dirt around like that. And so it's a nice, refreshing practice that everybody 
back in the old days when they were wearing sandals would practice. But if you look in the Old Testament, back in Exodus chapter 30, in verse 17, it starts and says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash with all, and thou shalt put him between the tabernacles of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein, for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn uh, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet they, that they die not, and it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generation. So here, that back in the old days, we see that some of the practice was that before the priest was to go in and to minister in the holy place and in the tabernacle, well, he was to wash himself. That he would go in clean before the Lord. And this cleansing was preparing him for, to be able to go and minister in front of the Lord. But it was also symbolic of something else. It was symbolic of a miniature little baptism. I remember a story. I, years ago, I was in church with this dear old saint named Aubrey. He passed away some years ago. He's a wonderful man. And we were washing each other's feet. And he said to me, he said, you know, friend, this is like a little mini baptism again. And that really hit me hard that day. That when he was washing my feet, it was reminding me that when I went down into the waters and I gave my life to Jesus, how sweet that was. And it was a beautiful picture. And so here Jesus, he's wanting to wash Peter's feet, but not just wash him that he would be clean also. But it's an invitation to come into the holy place of God. It's an invitation to come in and minister. And the Bible says that we're a royal priesthood. In the New Testament, everybody gets thrown in to this royal priesthood. We are here to do a job. We are here to minister. And so when Jesus gets down to wash Peter's feet, he's saying, you know what? I'm going to wash you. You're not going to do this one yourself, okay? Because you washing yourself isn't going to work in my kingdom anymore. I'm going to wash you myself so that you can come in and minister with me and to me. You see what I'm saying here? Jesus was trying to show him that even his own foot washing that the priest did back in the old days was not good enough. The Savior himself must be the one to wash the feet this time around. If you want to minister in his kingdom, if you want to be one of his priests, he must wash your feet before you come in to minister in his kingdom. And so Peter was like, no, no, this is not the way. And Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, then you need to let me wash your feet. See, the problem is in the church today, is, and, and some of you that are listening right now, you are struggling with what's going on in your life. And you want God to do things a certain way. And you want him to, to act a certain way to answer your prayers. But you haven't even ministered with the Lord yet. You've been asking for what you want. And he's asking you to come in and minister. 
And many people end up living in the outer court in the relationship of God because they can't move into the inner court and ultimately into the holy place and then the most holy place where they hear the very voice of God because they're not willing to allow Jesus to wash their feet. So Peter finally gets what's going on, and so he ends up going overboard the other direction, which many of us do often. Simon Peter saith unto him in verse 9, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He that is washed need not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. And, of course, he's speaking over to Judas Iscariot there. And Peter's like, No, okay, Lord, wash everything. And Jesus is like, Stop, Peter. Stop it. I just need to wash your feet. I just need to wash your feet. Because ministers that come into my kingdom, I'm going to be the one that washes their feet. So I want to ask you, dear believer, has Jesus washed your feet? Have you allowed this great physician, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has humbled himself who is down on a knee before you, saying, wanting to wash your feet, have, he's own, taken his own robe off. He's set down his own robe and saying, I am willing to humble myself so that you can have a part with me. Jesus washed your feet. Are you struggling today to understand why God has done what he's done in your life? I ask you, has Jesus washed your feet? Are you wanting God to, to just do a miracle like Naaman to heal you the certain way and, and to do it as you feel like it should be done? My question is, has Jesus washed your feet? Are you upset with God? Maybe because your plans haven't gone according to your desires. I, I want to ask you something. Has Jesus washed your feet? Do you feel maybe like God has abandoned you because your vision of what life was supposed to be has failed and it's not gone the way you wanted it? My question is, has Jesus washed your feet? You see, there's a person in that story of Naaman that so often gets overlooked. It's the real hero of the story outside of God's healing. It's the one that we see and we say, oh, it's so precious and sweet. And then we move forward. But it's the one who had the greatest impact that so often we never take notice of. You see, it's that little young girl who was a slave. The one that worked in Naaman's household. The one that had been taken from her own land. Things were not going her way at all. They weren't going the way she had wanted it to go. It wasn't going the way that her parents had wanted it to go for her. Everything was going wrong. Now she's living in a land of people that Israel would have detested. And she is a slave to a man with leprosy. Touch not the unclean thing, right? Well, she's having to serve him every day. This couldn't be God's plan, right? How could this precious little girl who had the world before her and now she's a slave, how, how could this possibly be God's plan? If he really would have loved her right, he could have stopped her from having to live this life of slavery. This little girl did nothing to deserve what she got. 
But God had a better plan. Little did this young lady know that over 2,000, 2,600 years later or so, that we'd be still talking about this story today. See, little, little did she know that, that this heart that she had that was close to God, that this, this, this little young childlike faith that looked at Naaman with all his leprosy and said, oh, that if he could just be with that prophet down in Israel, this, my master could be healed. This girl who, who wasn't being treated fair because she was in slavery, God had put her there to reach the captain of the army of Syria and make him a believer in the Most High God of Heaven. This little girl who didn't deserve her, she was, at, was now reaching one of the highest in commands of all Syria who ended up becoming a believer because she took a moment to witness for the King of Kings. Has Jesus washed your feet? Maybe your plans haven't gone the best. Maybe you're not getting what you think is right. Maybe this world's not been treating you fair. Certainly didn't treat that girl very fair because she had a heart of God. Naaman got saved. And your children know about this story in the Bible because of one little girl's act of love and kindness. Has Jesus washed your feet? Are you still living in the outer court of your walk with God? Are you still struggling out there? Why don't you let the Savior wash your feet tonight? Why don't you let Jesus cleanse you and bring you into fellowship with him? Stop trying to make your own plans. The Bible says the wind, we don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going, and so are those who are led by the Spirit of God. We don't always know where, where we're going in this walk with the Lord, but it doesn't matter when he's leading. It doesn't matter when he's in control. If God has washed your feet and you are fellowshipping with Him. He's got it under control. Has Jesus washed your feet? I want to pray for those of you who have been struggling out there. You're feeling like you just can't make it back right with God. Maybe you've even blamed the Lord. Maybe you thought God wasn't fair. Maybe you're angry because he hasn't answered your prayers the right way. I'm asking you to let Jesus wash your feet. And I'm going to pray that God will restore you to the place where he wants you to be. Not where you want to be, but where he wants you to be. Father in heaven, I pray for those that are struggling right now. For those that have been upset and angry, Lord, because you haven't always worked out things and they've, they've been confused and thought that it wasn't always fair, Lord, I pray they would remember the story of the little girl, the little Israelite girl. Though she was a slave, she was a witness for the king. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus for those that are struggling right now that you would set them free, knowing that the Savior of this world has humbled himself. He laid down his life, and he wants to wash their feet. 
Father, I thank you for this. I ask that you would restore and renew and set free, Lord, for those that have been carrying around the bondage of sin, whatever it might be, understanding that the one that they serve is greater than the sin that they have fallen enslaved to tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break every bond that is holding back anybody, Lord, and that you would set them free because we're calling on the powerful name of Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Father, for not being willing, not so easily giving up as we have done on others, or maybe we've even done with you at times, Lord, and so not blaming us like we have blamed others, or maybe we've even blamed you, Lord, but you are willing to forgive and to restore at any moment that a young child of God should call out and ask for forgiveness. Lord, I ask this. In the name above all names, Jesus, Yeshua, the almighty Savior of the world. Amen. Folks, I just pray tonight that you take a fresh look at life. I want you to be aware of where we're at in the, in the signs of the times and in the soon coming of Jesus and, and the collapse of our economy and all those things that are coming. But if, if you aren't walking right with God, then stop and get that right. Tune that walk up. Renew it again. Ask God to forgive you and he will. And let him wash away all that garbage that you've been carrying around forever. Lay it out, cry out to him, and watch him just take that and throw it away. And you can start brand new again. I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody that's been on your heart maybe for a while, someone that God's been laying for you to talk to, get out there and talk to them. Life is short. We don't have a lot of time. Go visit somebody. Go sit over at their house. Go Just go listen to their problems. I know you've got a lot of problems, and sometimes we can't always see past our own, but you know what? Sometimes in ministering, we end up getting ministered to. Like a good friend of mine always say, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And so this is Brother Frank with the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. <laughs>